the name of Jesus tonight, we're going to speak out and we're going to find out what God wants for us tonight. There's another reason it's terrifying to me is because I started out, well, let me tell you a little bit of a weakness that I have. Um, often when I prepare messages, I load it to the hilt with information. And often what I've found is that I fear that I won't have enough content or that somehow we won't be catching the, the, the picture. And in reality, there's, we'll never get to the end of the story. And what we need to do is just be able to focus on what God wants to say. And so uh, I often feel um, a tension between uh, just quieting my heart and hearing the Lord and, and uh, being too too much information, TMI, sometimes some of our brothers down there say, TMI. So tonight, one of the reasons it's somewhat terrifying is it just seems like the Lord has just made this simpler and simpler and simpler until it's almost like, is this enough? So I just want you to pray tonight as we go through this tonight, but I think I, I, think I understand the reason he's doing that. And I think it, I think you, you be the judge, but I think it's because there is a very important concept that he wants us to get. And it's actually pretty simple. So I have my notes in three places, four places. I, I don't know what to say, but let's just start tonight on this topic of the family altar. Um, first of all, I'd just like to, I, I'm just curious. I know we are in uh, the Northwest and every area, the predominantly uh, the people here are, would be from the Northwest, I think. I guess I didn't do a stat count, but so every area sort of has a fingerprint in this area. But I'm interested, I've got several questions, just out of curiosity, and this is not uh, like a test. It's more of just to know where you've been and, and, uh, and what your experience has been. So I've got uh, several questions here, starting from a very, very simple one, maybe too simple, but how many of you are familiar with the term, the family altar? Okay, is there anyone that didn't was that was a new term to tonight okay so we're all familiar with that term the family altar how many of you have received specific teaching or discipleship on how to build a family altar? how many of you feel like if just someone just sat down with you and said this is how you build a family altar okay thank you um How many of you came from a home that you feel like uh, you would, would have had what you consider now, in some form, a family altar? Okay, about half or so. And then, um, <clears throat> how many of you have, can, have established in your home or let me, let me ask this way, since we can all raise our hands. That, how many of you feel like you have a family altar running in your home? 
Okay? Thank you. Well, it's, it's just very interesting to me. I, I could not find a chapter and verse that said uh, that every Christian home should have a family altar, at, per se. But I think we find many verses that lead to the spirit of the family altar. And this is a very interesting area. It's an area I'll just call, I want tonight to be a, a message where the realm of opportunity is fanned. The flame in the realm of opportunity is, is, flame, is fanned. Because I think this, uh, and I hope that what I share tonight will, will uh, bring that out. I, to me, that is what God is saying tonight, that this is a realm of opportunity that if we miss as parents, we have missed a huge, huge opportunity in our homes. Now, the reason I say that uh, the family altar um, is primarily a realm of opportunity because I'm almost sure, I guess I can't say for sure, but just by merit of being Christian, we should be praying and reading the Bible. We have personal devotions. Um, we, have, uh, we go to church and we spend time in collective worship. So this area of a family altar is actually a very specific zone in the whole realm of worship, and uh, it's, it's very unique. And if we don't have that, I don't know that God puts a blot on our record and says, well, that home doesn't have a family altar. So it's, it's, it's like a lot of things in life where it's a tremendous opportunity and a tremendous blessing, but there's many people that have gone through life and uh, have not had a family altar. What I'd like to present tonight is the what I believe is a tremendous opportunity, and I really think, really, a I would just say a necessity if we want to have homes on purpose. <clears throat> so I want to, to go a, a few places here as we... As we um, break into this topic, uh, first of all, I, I want to just bring up the reality that God is very jealous over passing on the faith. And I want to read from three passages this evening. They are all, I am sure, very familiar to you, but I just want to read from these three passages tonight. So if you want to turn your Bibles to Deuteronomy 6. Let's read what the Lord said to Israel as he was uh, establishing. This is just very familiar territory to dads and moms, I'm sure. But let's just read it again tonight and, and just hear the heart of God as we consider the role and the place of a family altar. Deuteronomy 6, 4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. 
And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up, and thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thy eyes, and thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house and on thy gates. And it shall be when the Lord thy God shall be brought thee into the land which he sware unto thy fathers, to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, to give thee great and goodly cities which thou buildest not, and houses full of good things which thou fillest not, and wells digged which thou diggest not, vineyards and olive trees which thou plantest not. When thou shalt have eaten and be full, then beware that thou lest thou forget the Lord which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt and from the house of bondage. I'd like to turn now to the book of Jude. going to read a little bit here. I'm not sure how far, but let's just begin reading. Jude, the servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to them that are sanctified by God the Father and preserved in Jesus Christ and called, that's quite a privilege, quite a position, mercy unto you and peace and love be multiplied. Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation, it was needful for me to write unto you and to exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were of old ordained into this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. Earnest contention for the faith once delivered. I want to read one more passage this evening, and there are many of them. And you can look for them perhaps in your own studies as you take this subject further. But I want to go back to the storyline from last night and pick it up a little bit. Last night we talked about no hoof left behind. And we left the children of Israel in the desert with the reality there that God was speaking to the fathers. And he said, you are not going in because of your hardness of heart and unbelief. And we learned last night that even though God brought them out with a high and mighty hand, God delivered them without one child left behind from Israel, yet the vices of the father's hearts left their children behind in the desert in a way that they did not see coming. Very sobering truth, but this is several years later. To turn to Joshua 4, let me get there quickly here.
Now this is at the end of that time, and uh, I think we'll just start in the first verse of Joshua 4. And it came to pass, when all the people were clean passed over Jordan, that the Lord spake unto Joshua, saying, Take you twelve men out of the people, and out of every tribe a man, and command ye them, saying, Take, ye, take you hence out of the midst of Jordan, and out of the place where the uh, priest's feet stood firm, twelve stones. And ye shall carry them over with you, and leave them in the lodging place, where ye shall lodge this night. Then Joshua called the twelve men whom he had prepared of the children of Israel, out of every tribe a man, and Joshua said unto them, Pass over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of Jordan, and take you up every man of you a stone upon his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel. Now get these two verses. That this may be a sign unto you, that when your children ask their fathers in time to come, saying, What mean ye by these stones? Ye shall answer them that the waters of Jordan were cut off from before the ark of the covenant of the Lord when it passed over Jordan. The waters of Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial of the children of Israel forever. Just to give you a little foretaste of where we're going tonight, I intend to, to consider the privilege of altar building tonight, and we want to look at 12 stones of building your family altar. We'll get to those a little later in the message. We want to talk a little bit about altars and some things before that. But that's where we're going. And it seems to be very, very important to our God that people remember. Which makes it pretty clear that we are very, very forgetful folks. And it just doesn't take very long. Just not very long whenever the intensity of the presence of the Lord begins to wane, that some major shifting begins to happen and there is a, a complete loss. And often that happens at an alarmingly fast rate. Sometimes it happens right under our nose and we can kind of sense something's wrong. But we just, we get in that three-year fog and we just do not, realize what's happening. Tonight, I, I just want to tell you, I, I think it's God's heart, dads, that you bring stones of remembrance into your living room and that this be a place that is a place of security for your children, that they can come back to in their life. It's a solid place for the future. It's a realm of tremendous opportunity tonight. Let's talk a little bit about altars in the Bible. Um, I'm just going to touch on a few, but it, it's very fascinating. Probably you've uh, come across this in your reading, but uh, Abraham was a man who, who built altars. 
And it seemed like he would go to one place and set up camp there with Sarah and the flocks and the herds, and, and he would build an altar to the Lord, and he would sacrifice to the Lord. He would worship the Lord his God. And then pretty soon, uh, after a while, they would take the, the flocks and the herds, and they would move the whole company, and they would go to another place, and Abraham would build another altar unto the Lord. did that several times that we have record of, and I'm guessing many more that we don't. There was a time in Abraham's life when things were, were rough and uh, perhaps uh, foggy in it. The Bible says that he went back and he visited those places where he had altars. Have you ever done that in your life? I have a few times. I remember one time I went back. This is just, uh, I was really, really struggling with something. And I had the privilege at that point to not live very far away from the place where I was baptized. And I just went down there one afternoon and I just sat on the banks of that river, just looked at that water flowing by, and I just remembered that day, that, that line in the sand between me and Satan himself. That, that, I remember the brother putting his hands on my head and praying over me and the, and the Holy Spirit uh, very clear in my my experience was very clear feeling of the Holy Spirit on that day and the clean feeling that I had when I came out and it it gave me strength for that challenge that I was going through I, I just think it's really important to have places that we can go back to in our lives and remember There are many other altar builders in the Bible. And as we know, in the New Testament, the altar has moved from one of stone or steel to an internal altar of the heart. And when those folks were asking Jesus, or I believe it was the lady was asking Jesus, now where should we be worshiping over there in Samaria or in Jerusalem? He said, no, the true worshipers worship in spirit and in truth. So in a lot of ways, what we're talking about tonight is really Old Testament things, but I think the whole term of family altar, just, yeah, I love it, because it, 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 it creates some concrete imagery in our minds, and we can, we, can, we can think about, I just love, since this has been on my mind, it's been sitting there sometimes in our living room, just picturing, what if we just brought the stones right in here? And it's like they were just right here, Big old stones right in the middle of the living room. And then we actually lit a fire. And we just worshiped before the Lord here in our living room. It's powerful imagery in our minds. And I, I love the imagery of the altar. Well, there's some other altars in the Bible that uh, we really need to talk about. And I debated on whether to talk about them now or later. I think we'll just get it out of the way. Because they're very unpleasant to talk about. These are the altars of Baal and Ashtoreth and Moloch. These are the places where the things that are against the very God we serve, abominations to the Lord, happen. They happen in high places. They happen in groves. 
And Israel had this seesaw issue with the altars of the, to the idols of the day, which I believe were, were backed by hordes of demons. I think this was worship to Satan himself through the media or medium of, of the little wooden things that they had to, to worship. It, could, it had to be because history tells us, or if you research it, I can't remember which one it was. I don't even like to know that much about it. But they would have a metal god, brass god, and, and it would be, have these hand, outstretched hands, and they would, heat, they would heat a fire inside of it until it became very, very hot. And then they would place their infants and their babies there to, to perish in the hands of the idol. It's abomination to the Lord. And we think, how could you do that? But just think a little bit. Tonight, one of the reasons I think this is such an important message is we really need to consider on what altars, at what altars, we are allowing. Is it possible that some of us have become infiltrated by a strange thought process of tolerance and just sort of ignoring. Is it possible, is it possible that a Christian could sacrifice his own children on the altar of a strange God? I think God will answer those questions in our heart, but I think that's what we've been looking at a lot this weekend is, is, uh, Focusing on what God wants in our lives and focusing on the evil one and keeping him far away place, building connection in our homes and passion and focus on the Lord himself. Well, the brother called me, brother Jaden called me and texted me. I think he called me first and he asked if we would come and, uh, and uh, told me the topics that that I was would be assigned to, and so I told him I would pray about it a little bit, and I I prayed about it a little bit. I talked to our brothers there. I said, "What do you think about?" We had another another opportunity as well, and and uh, you know we just talked about this. Is this is this something? I mean, and and yet our hearts were here, and. Uh, it's just hard to, to know, and so it just seemed like the Lord was paving the way to, to make this something that He would, would want, and uh, so then I sat down with the topics, and I, I began to think about each one, you know, a connection to God's heart. Wow, that's big. No hoof left behind wow wow this is these are passion these are these are serious topics and then i got to this one the family altar and i thought oh oh no and i in my mind's eye just looked there in my living room and and my altar was in disrepair In fact, 
uh, it was just pretty occasional that it got visited. And I don't know how you brothers that, that speak are, but you just get this tremendous sense of insecurity, like, oh, you got to be kidding. You know, I, I'm going to speak on something like this. But what we did one night and is sat down, and, and I just want to share this um, kind of out of our mess. Um, we just kind of pulled the family together and we said, we would really like to reestablish our family altar here. And um, so the first question we, we ask, um, there's a, a dear older sister that lives there with us, Sister Karen, and she was there in our family circle that night. And so we said, well, what, what is a family altar and, and what should it be? So we just made a little list of questions. This was just sort of the, this was just the rough notes. I just copied these over, real rough notes. And, and this was a challenging exercise because I don't think I had ever done this before. I had never really sat down and asked myself, what is the family altar and what should it be? So we began to go around the circle. And you know what I found as we went around the circle there or just let people talk? is we had a high degree of, um, the right word here, of uh, a high lack of confidence that this family altar would actually start up and continue. And that really, really shocked me, that coming from some of our older children. In fact, one of our sons said, uh, it's not going to happen. And I was just shocked. I was like, this is like bold. But it began to dawn on my heart at what I have done over the years in this, in dealing with this family altar. But we went, we began to, to brainstorm there together. And so I just read you some things and some of this will come back up later as we look at the rocks. But, uh, so what is it and what should it be? Family worship time, somebody said. Someone said, well, read the Bible. Someone says, pray together. Someone said, sing together. Someone said, bring glory to God. Someone said, talk together. Someone said, laugh together. That's interesting. Uh, someone said, a time for connection at the end of the day. Someone said, uh, reading of some kind together. Somebody else said, uh, well, too much singing can get a little cumbersome. It gets tiring if we just sing all the time. Too much singing. That's interesting. What, what are we hearing here? Uh, someone else says, yeah, let's not sing too many new songs, but let's sing some old favorites. Uh, now you, you laugh, but just, are you hearing something? Are you hearing a cry, 
a heart cry. Uh, Sister Karen said, well, I didn't believe, I didn't grow up with it, but I believe it's right. And she said, reading scripture together and talking about it, that, that's just, I, I think that's what we should do. And then she said, this was just precious to me, a time for the family to be all of one mind, because when we come to an altar, we need to be of one mind and go together, forward, forward together in one mind. Powerful. Uh, someone else said, well, we all go our different ways and everybody has a busy day. So this is a good time for us to come all together and be one. And then the last point we had is, yeah, we probably shouldn't be thinking about disc golfing or the agenda for tomorrow. We should be focused here. It's a time that we can focus. So the next category, very similar, but we've kind of tried to condense this down to goals. So this is what is it and what should it be. So what are our goals? Okay, glorifying God, engaging in genuine family connection, to become one in heart and in worship, effectual fervent prayer, vibrant singing, Go to bed with the glow of God and the coziness of family connection. Be interactive. To be the highlight of our day. For, anyone, for everyone possible in the family to be present. To increase Bible literacy and enthusiasm. To make the scriptures come alive. And to do it at a designated time we can all plan on and not too late because we have some folks that just get really sleepy seems like really early for me but it's the way it is and we need to respect that suggestions on how to reach our goal have supper at 5 30 again so we can have devotions earlier go to bed earlier get up earlier well we had a good bit of pushback on that uh, build in accountability so we don't fail at our goals again. Uh, suggestion of length, 30 to 60 minutes, but no longer than 60. A lot of group participation. Assignments for different people. Set time at 8 o'clock. Uh, do one thing on our list beginning on Thursday. Face forward in prayer. It was just a little thing we, we did. We had been facing the couch, just kind of all turned around, and we decided, why not face forward and kneel forward? Maybe it will give us a little more connection. <clears throat> so that's where we started. You know, it has been a tremendous struggle. And I... I we have not done it every night. We just have, we simply haven't. I would say we average maybe two a week. One, more than that. Anyway, we, 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 we haven't done a real great job, but we are going to. This is going to be something that we do. So the next thing I, I did here as we uh, 
as I was, was thinking about this, was I called, uh, I decided I'm going to survey as many people as I can on this topic and see, um, see what we find on that others' experiences are with family worship. This was very interesting. I didn't get near as far. I had a goal of like 50 brothers across the brotherhood, and I think I got to maybe 12. But it, it was very insightful, and we began to see a theme. And pretty much the first thing that I heard from all of them was, wow, I, I you know, that's a good question. I, it, it, we don't do as good at it as we should. I found that very interesting, common theme. Uh, some other things I heard were um, the children just really enjoy it. It's just a time that uh, especially some uh, noted that they uh, had practiced, tried to practice a good deal of consistency to it. And it seemed like once the consistency there that the, the children are the ones wanting to make sure that it happens. Had a variety of, of uh, expressions of what is done uh, from studying Bible passages to reading a Bible story to uh, maybe just reading a, a book together uh, and other things. We may get to a few other things here this evening. Um, one very interesting thing... Uh, well, I'll tell you what, I think I'll just save that until we get to these, to get, till we get to these rocks. This evening, I, I think what, I, I'm not sure when to say this in the message, but I'm going to say it right now. I think what God has, has been showing me is that the family altar is an important place to build for worship. But there's actually something else that's more important than the some kind of a uh, well. <laughs> let me rephrase this, brothers and sisters. Do you realize that you have a sheepfold in your home, and it's your very own? It's like your little castle. Brother Sam, as he was sharing in one of his messages, said one of the, I don't know if I have this right, Sam, so help me out, but one of the key things that he sees uh, in broken connections is an uh, inferiority or insecurity. Am I saying that correctly? Insecurity. Very interesting that a lot of times, even with various fruit coming out of a break, broken connection with a child and a parent, uh, one of the top things that are, is seen is an insecurity is driving that. Um, today, Brother Troy went through, tabulated a, a lot of data from the fathers and mothers surveys, and was it second on the list? Or third, I think it was third, second. 
a very important thing, and uh, us dads don't feel like we're doing very good at vibrant family devotions, I believe it said. And so we have uh, a very important thing before us here, but I think to me what God is, the, the, the thing that I just really want to focus on tonight is not so much all of the how-tos, and maybe we can get to some of that, and I hope that in testimony time, I really hope that there is a sharing here of thoughts on what, what has worked for you and what is not worked for you. But to me, this is what is coming to me in this message, is it is our job as dads and as moms, as parents, to create an intense high level of security in the home and, and to build and disciple the belonging and connection of a family who is worshiping the Lord, a, a cocoon, if you will. And this actually has huge, far-reaching impact in church life, in how we relate to others. And so something here tonight that I'm feeling and seeing is that we really need to pay attention to this tremendous opportunity. Uh, and if we miss it, we may miss, uh, we may, we may uh, miss something very, very valuable. This is the verse that we read early. I'm just going to go now into these stones of the altar. You heard some of this come out in what I shared before. But participative worship is a very valuable thing. And I think uh, the testimony would be in homes uh, where the family altar has not been present that, you know, I, I remember, and I hope I'm not stepping on anybody's toes here, but I remember a day when, when it was just a real challenging thing for a, a, a grown-up man to step forward and actually ask the blessing in a, in a circle of brothers. I don't think that was because he, he wanted to be a spiritual wimp. I just think he just didn't have the training and the nourishment and the environment of participative worship like that. I'm sure that those brothers prayed in their closets. But, you know, there's a generation that, uh, a whole generation before me that, that just, they just were very to themselves. And uh, they didn't express very much. And I think that there were some real spiritual consequences from that. I'm not, I'm not trying to justify all that, but I... I just want us to realize the tremendous potential and opportunity we have here. Uh, one brother I talked to said, you know, you know, we've started doing it. He's about my age. He said, we've started, we've started doing it, and we're committed to doing it, and, and we're consistent about doing it as much as we can. But he said, you know, it's been a real challenge because he said, we grew up. We read a, we read a chapter at the, at the breakfast table, and that's, that's how I grew up. And they're stepping out. They want to do this better. But it's the cocoon of discipleship 
of participative worship. I mentioned it earlier, we, do, we worship publicly and we worship personally, but this is a real opportunity to teach our children how to be at home and participating in worship. <clears throat> One thing we've uh, done in this since we discovered the broken altar in our home is we have done some assignments and we just said, son, you're on Tuesday, you're on Wednesday, bring a devotion for the family. Another thing that we have, we have begun doing, I used to always pray and, and we said the Lord's Prayer together after that. And uh, we've just begun to assign uh, two people, actually the person that has devotions assigns who they, they choose someone that they want to pray when it's time to pray. Something very simple. But it's just something that we had not done in our homes, in our home before. And I think we're seeing a, a real blessing from that. First stone of the altar, and I want to say this, these are just ideas. I want you, brothers and sisters, to go home and build your family altar. This is not limited to 12 stones. You may find different labels, but whatever it is, we want to build a place where the fire of God burns in our living rooms and a place where our children come back to. It's a stones of remembrance. It's anchors for their faith. It's vibrancy in their walk with the Lord. The second stone that... um, I identified here is family connection. One of the brothers I talked to has a night a week. He does, he does something different each night of the week. This was a real blessing. This is a very purposeful brother. And one of those nights, all that he does is he just simply goes around and asks the children, what is on your mind? And he said, they know it's coming, and here it comes. Just bubble, 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 bubble. And they look forward to that night, one night a week. Family connection. And we say, well, you know, is this spiritual enough? I mean, do we, shouldn't we have some? Well, I think they have prayer together in his case. But I think it's very, very important because it is, it is creating this culture and environment where we together come and worship the Lord. We are a godly family and we worship the Lord together. One of the things that uh, I uncovered in the very brief survey that I did was that I think this was uh, noted today somewhere, but that often our wives have a hunger for spiritual intimacy that we in our machine-like brains are not factoring in as men. And so many wives uh, just keep tapping their husbands. Can we, can we, can we have devotions tonight? Uh, or I really think the family would be blessed if we could have devotions. And I think that it is a spiritual intimacy. I also think it's a family intimacy. It's the It's the mother's desire to see the family together 
and connected and following the lead of the Father and, and responding and growing. And I think, uh, brothers, that we should take this to heart. Very important stone on the altar is family connection. The third one I noted tonight is what I'm going to call the stone of, fam- of belonging and identity. And this directly speaks to this insecurity that Brother Sam brought out. But there is just something about a secure place um, where I belong. I very clearly belong in the family. And I, 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 I'm asked what I think about Bible verses and I, uh, I can share openly from my heart. I really think that this this stone of the altar, and you may say, wow, that's very interesting, but I, I just think this is, to me, the message of, of the Lord to my heart tonight, is that we brothers are building a cocoon of security and blessing. We are building the church in our house with the family altar. Um, this can be done many ways. Reading around the circle. Okay, tonight, children, we're going to read Psalm 1, and all of you are going to share what you think about it. Just pick something out of there. Well, some nights go better than others, but often someone gets a look in their eyes. And pretty soon it's like, wow, that's really interesting. I never saw this in this light before. You see what's happening? The seeds of faith are growing links closely to another rock that we'll look at a little bit later. But isn't it a blessing when our belonging, our identity, our comfort level is all wrapped up in the service and passion of the Lord God instead of, and we know what's happening otherwise, don't we? There's belonging and identity issues calling our children's names from everywhere. And I think this will go a long ways if they love to come to the family altar in their belonging and identity. Number four, biblical literacy. You know, many of you are doing this already, but it's just a treasure and a privilege. I think one brother was telling me uh, last night that... uh, he went through, as he's gone through his Bible readings, went through the minor prophets. He said, man, there is good, there's powerful things in there that I had never read before just because I have a reading plan. Well, think about this with our children. As we dig through Habakkuk and Haggai, and Micah, Nahum, and, you know, it can be as simple as Singing the verses of the books of the Bible one night, you know, we're, we're things that nurture just just little, little tiny rocks that we are focused on. I, I should have mentioned this earlier. These rocks, I, I want to align with with a, a focus and a passion of a father's heart. And, and when these rocks all come together, they create a place where the fire of God burns and a place of remembrance. I forgot to mention that earlier. Another thing, I grew up, my, my dad uh, made a pretty big step from his upbringing 
And we just simply read through the uh, Arthur Maxwell Bible stories every night. The blue ones, you know, the, the, ten, the set of ten. And we just, we just simply went through. We just cycled and cycled and cycled. We'd read a Bible story. If it was a treat night, we'd read two. Sometimes on a Sunday afternoon, we got to read five. And we just ate them up. Can we, can we read one more? Well, probably better not tonight. But then we would have prayer together. It's just clockwork. And we would say the Lord's Prayer together. Dad would lead us in prayer. And you know, <clears throat> I'm sorry, getting ahead of myself. I'm going to come back to that in a little bit. Biblical literacy, though, I want to mention one thing about Arthur Maxwell, and I don't know sometimes if this is good or bad, because those images are so cemented in my mind that when we read a scripture, boom, there's that painting. But it, has, it gave me a very deep sense of, of what the Bible was from a very young age. I didn't even know that I had that and other people didn't sometimes. So something very simple like that done consistently is a blessing. The fifth one, we learn how to supplicate our Heavenly Father. We learn how to ask Him for what we need. This is combined with the next one. I'll just go ahead and combine those intercession. And we do this on Wednesday nights at our church service, but we haven't started doing it at home. This was one thing that I thought, well, why haven't we been doing this? One of our brothers says, well, we just, we just, write, we just have prayer requests right on the whiteboard right there in our living room. And we, you know... Some of our children pray for the same people every night. And, and, and we learn to ask the Lord for these things that we're in deep need of, uh, problems we've seen in our life or whatever. Isn't this a beautiful place where you can just take the things we know, the things we, these principles, and we can just break them, we just bring them right down to the, to the sheep, to the lambs, right down here. And we can just say, children, let's... Let's ask the Lord. Let's just talk to the Lord about it. It seems so simple. I almost feel foolish bringing this because it's so simple. But I haven't been doing it. And I suspect that I may not be alone in that. The blessings of intercession and supplication. Uh, right along with that, the children as they pray... Uh, just giving them liberty to to pray and and uh, encouraging in a public setting like that, semi-public, to become very comfortable praying their heart, praying their heart before the Lord. Singing. Rock number seven. <clears throat> We used to sing a lot as a family, and I'm not even sure what to say about this, but we sang a lot as a family prior to our church divide in 2009, and then we got a CD player, and we love listening to the Eshes and the Kaufmans and all these people. We love listening to them. But you know what happened one time 
in our kitchen in Ohio, we had an aha moment. All we're singing is these songs we're listening to. What happened to the old favorites? What happened to getting out the hymn books and just raising the roof together? And so in that case, we went on a, a, a fast for a while, and we, just, we decided we want to be music creators, not just music consumers. But you know what? That's been a while, and we need to get back to that. But I just want to, yeah, there's brothers here so much more qualified to talk on this, but I just want to encourage us, and I want you to encourage me. Check up on me. You're welcome to. But I want to create a culture of song at worship time. I want this to be something, and it was at one time in our home, our oldest son just loves to sing. And even now, today, he often, you know, we're together, and the first thing he'll do is he'll get the song books and bring them out, set them on the table, and let's sing together. A wonderful place to worship. Maybe you don't feel like you can sing very well. Develop the appetite. It will bless us tremendously. And I think our, we want our songs, our children, to be singing the songs of Zion. There, are, there is doctrine and theology in those hymns that they need to cement in their heart. And let's be singing together. Number eight, life discipleship. I had one brother say, you know, a lot of times we'll, we'll read a passage and, and go around the room. And uh, he said, well, uh, all of a sudden something, one of our teenage daughters, something will come up, come out. And pretty soon we're clear off the topic. We're way over here talking about something, but it was stimulated by what something we read. And he said, you know what we do? We just go down that trail. And I thought, what a discipler. What a man of God that understands his daughter's hearts. And they go down that trail and they work out life's perplexities. We connect the scripture. We connect the security of the family. We connect. This can be done in so many different ways. Uh, one of the problems I think that we as men have is we get a little concerned about content for these evenings. I don't know how you are. We can look at that as a chore. I've got this responsibility and I'm, I need to have the right content for the evening. Well, I think this life discipleship uh, creates a lot of, of opportunity for a lot of different roads. I remember reading some things, uh, uh, just a, I think it was a list of 20 or 30 ideas to do at family worship. And this can be anything from just taking a very simple um, scripture and playing it out with the children, just, just acting it out together. Uh, it's amazing how creative you can get if you just look at these rocks as what we're trying to portray. What, if we have a goal of building another layer of foundation into the hearts and lives of our children. 
and I just think that we need to be very careful not to miss the life discipleship moments. Rock number nine, Thanksgiving. Need to hurry along here. I think I'm out of time. You know, one of the four branches of prayer is Thanksgiving and cultivating gratitude uh, in our homes is something we've talked about all weekend here. Uh, as parents, we sometimes find it difficult to come home with the right attitude. But we've had already one evening, or we do this every once in a while, where we just, we don't even, we don't even uh, get out the Bibles. We just simply go around the room and we say, tell us one thing that you're thankful for tonight. And you know what? It gets to be a pretty long devotion. Or we might do, say, do something like, tell us something you're thankful for about the person on your right. Sometimes we have to think a little, but we can always find something we are thankful for. But cultivating gratitude and thanksgiving, another rock. Another one I put down, again, this is the passion and vision of a father's heart. I'll just call it treasuring, dawning truth. And I just want us to picture our children as these little precious plants. And they're growing up, and they, sometimes, you know, when they're young, the little hook, of the bean comes up out of the soil and they're very, very uh, tender. But isn't it a delight to just look for those first real leaves? And we keep nurturing and, and, and desiring growth. And, and sure enough, there it comes. There's the second set of leaves. And, and if we're not careful as dads, we miss this opportunity and we don't hear, like, I'll just go back to this thing of, of we want to sing the old favorites. Let's not sing too many new songs. Well, we love to sing new songs. But what the heart cry is, is I want to go back there and, and connect in that. And then furthermore, uh, we hear every once in a while, there will be someone that says, uh, oh, daddy. And there's this like little dawning truth, this little teachable moment. Can't we just stop the show and let that be devotions for tonight? This is the beauty of this cocoon and what we're developing. Treasuring dawning truth as an opportunity. The 11th one I put down is probably the one we're all dreading to see, and that's consistency. But I, I just want to say this. I'm not saying... I, I really want this altar to be an altar of opportunity and not an altar of, of, of obligation. And I don't know how to say that because I think when we recognize the opportunity, we're going to feel an intense obligation. But consistency, I have heard it, I experienced it myself, I shared that with you already. Uh, consistency creates, and that's what happened with my dad uh, reading those Bible stories every night. There was something implanted in me. I've heard testimony from some of the brothers I talked to that the children want to be there. I mentioned that earlier. There's something about some level of consistency, whatever we can do. And if, what if we could just commit to that, Dad, dads? Let's, let's try to our level best. I'm not saying if you're out late, you know, Christmas caroling and everybody comes dragging in at midnight. Okay, children, everybody set up. You know, we're going to sing five songs and we're going to have a half hour devotion. Come on, everybody straighten up. That's not what we're talking about. 
In fact, I think that really is harmful to this thing that we are looking to do. But what if we saw the opportunity and the value and consistency? The last stone on the altar that I have tonight is what I just called the stone of clearing. And it's simply this. We often pray when we go to bed that we could just, as we lay our heads on our pillows, that our hearts would be open and clean and clear before our God. That we would just have peace in our sleep. And if the Lord would take us in the night, there would be nothing between us and Him. It's just teaching the principles of keeping our accounts short and our relationships strong and making sure that, that we are living in a closely connected walk with our Heavenly Father. <clears throat> in conclusion tonight, I just want to say it again that um, could we catch the vision, dads, of that living room full of stones? Stones of remembrance, stones that we have purposely built. Builded. Can you imagine even tonight going home and saying, maybe some of you don't have old enough sons, maybe some of you do. Maybe even a three-year-old could help. Son, let's go tug some stones in the living room together. Let's build the altar, the family altar, and let this be a place where the Lord God is worshipped, a place of remembrance. God bless you and pray for us as we continue to rebuild the altar in our living room.